This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. And when you do that, a few things can happen. Number one, I'll just ignore it. Number two, it could go to spam. Or number three, we could read your question on the air and answer it. When I say we, I don't mean the royal we. I mean Damien Dunn, no relation, coming to us from his steel box in northern Indiana. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. Good to be back. It is good to have you back. I do miss Gold Star Gale. As uh, the president of the United States would say, a lot of great reviews. She got a lot of great reviews. But this time, it's true. So, uh, Dame, what we're going to focus on today, we've got some tax debt questions. We've got uh, an explanation of stock splits and why they're significant and why they matter once again. Uh, and some other fun and frivolity. So, Dame, let's get right to it. Dear Pete, my son-in-law did not pay taxes owed and now has a 10K debt to Uncle Sam. I realize that's not a huge number, but my daughter is terrified. I told her to go to the irs.gov website and they can set up a payment plan online. It's probably the easiest way and the cheapest way to handle this. Next, who would be the best person to see to make sure they don't get in this mess again? A CFP, a CPA, a psychiatrist, LOL. I think that stands for lots of love. She is in a panic because she just found out about this. A marriage counselor might also help. Another LOL, even though I understand that this is a serious problem that they need to resolve now. Though it is not the end of the world, I try to emphasize this to her. Thanks. A concerned mother-in-law. Dame, man, there's a lot going on here in this very small uh, email because it's a very short email, but there's a lot going on. First off, when, when anytime I hear someone say it's $10,000, it's not that much. It, it's always a lot to the people involved though, isn't it? $10,000 is going to sound like a lot of money to a bunch of people. In the grand scheme of things, maybe 10K is not that much to this couple or to this family unit as a, a, a bigger picture. But it's not something that most of us are just going to look at and say, eh, it's inconsequential. Let me just get out my wallet and, and take care of that. So, uh, yeah, $10,000 in the grand scheme of uh, debt that you could owe to the IRS may not be that great. Uh, but for uh, most of us individuals, that's something that we don't want to just kind of try and sweep under the rug. So there's a lot of ways that a person can find themselves in this situation. And some of them are just really common. And, and, and it's not that I'm dismissive of how bad they are. I'm just trying to say, hey, these people aren't alone. A lot of people are in this spot. And in a weird way, a lot more people are going to be in this spot in the next three years because of the CARES Act and some legislation that makes getting into tax debt a little easier. But Dame, here, here's some, some possibilities. This person is their own uh, employer. <laughs> they're self-employed and they're not paying taxes as they go. That's very common. One of the more common ways that actually happens is through... Um, the real estate business. If you're a realtor and you don't set money aside, you're a 1099 employee, so to speak, then that can absolutely happen. Uh, Dame, another way this can happen is if someone had uh, a 401k or retirement account that they liquidated prior to age 59 and a half and they had a tax obligation there and they just didn't set the money aside. And so that can happen. Dame, I think, of course, the bigger issue here is relationship communication 
I don't know. I don't know if a marriage counselor is necessary, but I certainly feel like these folks need to start communicating better. Can I throw a log on the fire? Oh, please do. Did you catch the part where it says she just found out about this? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, but you know what? I, I don't think that's that unusual. I mean, we have stuff going on in, in our financial life, Mrs. Planner and I, that Mrs. Planner doesn't know about, but that doesn't necessarily make it bad. It just means we have different duties. Maybe this guy's duties is to deal with the financial stuff and he just does it poorly. Could be. Could be. I, I'm not trying to insinuate that something nefarious is going on, but uh, to get to your point, the communication needs to uh, potentially increase in situations like this. I don't know if you've ever gotten a love letter from the IRS before, but they're not always prompt or uh, you could get one calling something into question from multiple years prior. So uh, this could be something that it was an honest mistake. Could have been very easily an honest mistake. I, I'm I'm leaning, I think, myself towards being a self-employed individual who something just got messed up in the taxes and they didn't send everything they were supposed to uh, supposed to. And now there's maybe some extra penalty and tax and all that fun stuff that goes along with it. And now it's just got to get resolved. So is it a huge issue? Kind of. I mean, it's it's $10,000 to the government that they are expecting to see. So you need to have a plan set up to get it paid back. And I, as this thoughtful emailer says, it's pretty easy to get a payment plan set up and it will be probably a little bit more reasonable than you anticipate as long as you've still got some cash flow. So don't delay, get out there, try and get it figured out and uh, don't, don't wait any longer than you absolutely have to. Yeah, my best bet here is that it is actually uh, same self-employed person, but they just didn't set money aside. I don't think it was an oversight as much as it was a willful oversight. Um, I do think the, there's no need to get a third party involved in terms of dealing with the debt. It is just easier to go to the IRS website, set up a payment plan. You can call them too, but Dame, here's the really tough part right now. This is an awful time to have a $10,000 tax debt to the IRS for two reasons. Number one, trying to communicate with them is going to be a nightmare because it's now late tax season and there's all the other garbage around stimulus checks and all of this. Uh, I'm not trying to be dismissive of stimulus checks. I'm just saying it's creating a lot of volume for IRS agents. And then the other thing, a thing of course, Dame, not only is it hard to come up with $10,000 right now during the midst of a recession, but it's also hard to come up with a monthly dollar amount that will create the payment plan, the repayment plan. So, yeah, I think the financial solution here is easier than the broken trust, which may revolve, involve some candles to try to, to fix. Potentially, or, or something sparkly, maybe. Uh, anyway, my, uh, my go-to advice usually for people in this circumstance who are kind of blindsided by something that happens with them in regards to the IRS, try and set up an appointment at a local IRS office and go in. I, every time I have spoken with somebody who has done that, they've been amazed at the service and the quality of, of people that they meet there. They, everybody has this image in their heads of IRS agents, you know, being, you know, uncaring and and very by the book and and if you are able to go in and see somebody face to face and and plead your case a little bit they are happy to try and work with something to get you in good standing with the irs so uh, since that's not necessarily an option right now due to covid you're gonna have to do your best with online and telephone options which may take you a little while to get through but again that's that's no excuse not to get this handled so 
that's where you go. It's interesting. Uh, a lot of people love to hate on government agencies. They just like, oh, these people are terrible. They kind of aren't, everybody. I mean, so the Social Security Administration, the Social Security Office, those are literally some of the most helpful people that will ever serve you. So let, let's try to park some of those unwarranted criticisms to people. And, and look, let us if you want to take it a step further, Dame, you and I both know people are so unorganized when it comes to their finances that a lot of the fault people place blame on uh, in terms of the Social Security Administration or the Internal Revenue Service is the fault of the caller because they have no idea what they're talking about. And so they just end up blaming the IRS or the Social Security Administration. So yeah, you know, I, I, I actually, this isn't really what we're talking about, but it is now. Uh, I feel really bad for people in the IRS right now uh, for a lot of reasons, but they're getting calls from the most stressed out people. No one ever calls the IRS and is like, hey, just checking in. Everything good? How are the unicorns? Like no one's ever happy when they call. They're frustrated. So Dane, we got to take a break. I'm watching the clock here today. I don't want to get hung out to dry. Coming up after the break, we're talking stock splits. If this ever happens to you randomly and you didn't know it was about to happen, it's very exciting. That happened to a lot of investors this past week. We'll tell you who, we'll tell you why. That's all next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm that fella. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. Dame, this past week, major investor lose breaking from Wall Street or probably Cupertino, where most of us think our weather is from time to time. Apple announced a big stock split, which means the high-priced investment went from uh, a very high price to about $400 a share. What was the split? Was it four to one, three to to one? one? Four to one. Four to one. So a stock split. Dame, why do companies take their stock, then cut it up, shrink the price, and then give people more shares of the stock at a lower price. Why do they do that? The thought is, is that it's going to help make the stock a little bit more liquid and um, reachable for the average investor. So somebody who loves Apple products in this case could go out and buy part of the company through a stock purchase. That's a little less important nowadays because now we're able, at least in the US, we're able to buy fractional shares on a number of different platforms. So once upon a time, you had to buy stocks in lots, which were packages of 100. And it could get very prohibitive to buy a big chunk of of stock if it was a very high price stock. You could potentially buy odd lots if you wanted to, but there was an additional fee that came along with that. Now, the, with the advent of Robinhood and all these other uh, platforms that allow you to buy fractional shares, that's less of a deal. However, I read somewhere, and I can't remember the source or I would cite it, uh, that there are countries that they don't still don't allow fractional share purchases. So this was uh, possibly a nod to investors around the world who wanted to get in on Apple and, uh, and make, some, make some money. I don't want to say that you don't ever teach me things because you teach me things quite often. But what you just said taught me something. A, I didn't know that was a fractional uh, issue international for an international investors. And I also didn't consider the implication that this move was to entice investors around the world because, again, domestically, not so much an issue. Apple has a history of doing this. They had a seven to one stock split back in the day. 
I have to say one of my favorite personal investing moments of all time, I always reference this. And so for those that listen to the show regularly, uh, will not be uh, surprised here. In seventh grade, sixth grade, I bought one share of Philip Morris stock, which was, of course, a tobacco uh, company. It's now called Altria. But I bought uh, Philip Morris stock in sixth grade, one share, seventh grade, whatever. No one remembers. And and within a few years, it split. It was a three to one split. So I think, and this is how I remember it. No one fact checked me here because I'm not claiming this is the truth. But I feel like I bought it at like $39 a share, $37 a share. It climbed to 100 and then split. So what an early, amazing lesson in investing that you get a stock split. Now, Dame, I've also been on the other side of that where um, the old reverse stock split where you get fewer shares and they increase the value of those shares. Uh, it, it always equals out, right? If it's $1,000 a share on a regular stock split, maybe, and it's a four to one split, you end up with four shares valued at 250. Um, but again, it feels like stock splits are increasingly rare. So it's interesting to see one of the most highly traded companies on Wall Street have a stock split once again. Yeah. And you did touch on something that's really important there. If, if you do hold shares of Apple, uh, you're not going to lose money um, through the split itself. Now, the price will fluctuate. There's nothing that anybody can do about that, short of Tim Cook and maybe his accountants. But as far as thinking that you know, the split is going to lessen the overall value of what you have in Apple, that's not the case. You'll just have more shares that you'll be able to you know, do whatever you want with, let it continue to grow or sell some of it, whatever whatever you prefer. But that value is still going to be there. If you had $10,000 of Apple uh, yesterday, you've got a little bit more today because the stock price went up. But you'll still have it after the split too. You'll just have more shares at a smaller per share price. So don't freak out about that. Yeah, the other side of that too is their intended uh, action has happened today. A renewed interest, a growth in the stock because it, it gets people's attention. If, if you just are a headline reader and you see that the Apple stock split, then you're like, oh, well now I can afford it. I'd like some. It must be good if people can now get more shares. It's up almost 7% as we record this show midday on Friday the 31st. And so, I know, Dame, you and I don't watch the market that closely. I mean, we're not exactly day traders and things, but we we keep our, our nose to it every once in a while just to see what the people are talking about. Um, so, yeah. I, but do you think, how about this? And we're not, this is not, it is actually. It's amateur stock analysis time here on... Uh, What's the name of the Pete the Planner show? <laughs> I forgot the <laughs> name. Of the, I really did. Okay. Do you think coming out of whatever we're all dealing with right now, the pandemic, the recession, the lockdown, shutdown, whatever, quarantine, whatever, choose your word. Do you think consumer stocks, consumer-based stocks like this are going to be the hotness for the next year, year and a half? Or... Do you think because people might have more sensibility and less discretionary income, they're not going to be able to make their normal purchases? What do you think, buddy? I think that a lot of people are going to go for those well-known brand names if they choose to participate in the stock market like they did the last time stimulus checks were were, were pushed around. Um, I think there's a good argument to be made for a basket of consumer staples 
of, and I'm not talking about staples, the store or staples that you put on a stapler, but just, uh, things that, that we need, uh, on our day in day out basis to make our lives happen. I, I think those types of purchases make sense because as we've known, a lot of the discretionary stuff goes away, but there's still a core amount of things that, that we need to, to make our households work. So maybe stocks like Apple, um, and the, you know, Facebooks and the Googles and, and all those things, maybe they continue to just absolutely crush it because our lives have been kind of consolidated into a digital world at this point. But I wouldn't for, uh, forsake a lot of the, the core stuff that, that, uh, we take for granted going forward to, um, Altria, for example, people got to have their smokes. <laughs> people got to have their smokes. And of course, this is not a specific, uh, investment recommendation, but, Places like Amazon, people still get a lot of their household recommendations. Full disclosure, because we're a full disclosure organization, I own shares of Amazon. Uh, but Dame, Amazon is also does not have what I view to be the corporate culture that would ever do a stock split to be on the side of the everyday investor. They don't really care. I think they would much rather uh, be the big dog with the high price stock. You know, we stream this show live on Facebook as we record it midday on Fridays. Jameson, longtime listener, just noted they bought their son one share of Apple stock for Christmas in December of 2015. Cost was $116 for the share. Now he's about to have four shares and his gain is $248 so far. I wish I had bought some for myself. Wow. What? See, again, he's a young kid. I mean, he's a young teen that is getting this investing experience. It's the exact same experience I had, except he's doing it with Apple and I did it with uh, tobacco for your face. I saw a tweet last night of a guy that said the $60,000 worth of Apple stock that I sold sometime in the 90s oh. would now be worth $17 million, producing an annual dividend of 124k, And the responses were just, don't do this to yourself, man. Just let it go. <laughs> All right, so we, well, you know what? I want to touch on this when we get back. Uh, um, this idea of regret, because I was uh, exchanging some messages with a friend uh, this week, and he was really saying, "Should I lock in some of these gains?" And then the question came down to, "Are you re- going to regret it more if you don't and things go down, or if you do and things go up?" So coming up after the break, let, let's talk about that because it gets to the essence of risk tolerance and taking profits appropriately. So we'll do that next. Uh, You can always join us live Fridays, noon Eastern on Facebook. Be part of the conversation. We love the attention. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, I'm putting the million dollar question in front of you right now. I'm going to put the spotlight on you. This is all about you. Who is better to answer this question than you. Here it is. If you have a million dollars and you've just gained 200,000 of those dollars in recent months and you're like, wow, wow, wow. This is, these are invested dollars. Are you more likely to lock in that gain, that $200,000 gain by moving it to a more conservative investment and keep the $800,000 still rolling out of the fear that it'll go back down, but you've locked in that gain, or are you more likely to let it ride? And this is all a bigger question as to, Dame, will you be more upset if you act and things get better, 
meaning you move it and the stock keeps climbing? Or would you be more upset if you didn't act and the stock went down? Damien, Andrew, Dunn, Dad, the, the, the spotlight is on you. I think a lot of it depends on what your time horizon is. Uh, if, if you're going to get your technical answer here, that's going to have a lot to do with it. If you anticipate on needing that money soon, lock it in, man, because you can rebalance that into other uh, investments that that can help you with that longevity. If you're young in the game and, and a little got a lot of time to go, I can see how you'd let it ride. Uh, Pete and I, you just you and I just talked about a, a similar situation that that I experienced not that long ago with a a certain uh, Instabook type of account uh, or stock, I should say. And uh, I I made some money on it and it continued to rocket right past its its price. And uh, I look at it every time and kind of kick myself. But I have to give myself some slack because I did all right. So that's a really interesting thing about this whole topic is that there's been research that shows that for every dollar that you gain, to feel that uh, that same type of emotion on the downside, you only have to lose 50 cents. So if if your stock portfolio doubles one year, you're feeling great. If it goes down by 50, 50% the following year, you're going to feel that same level of emotion, probably more in my estimation, because we deal with, with wins pretty well. Uh, we may gloat about them a little bit, but man, when you make that loss, when you see that paper get a lot smaller it hurts a lot more and sticks with you and you start to fret and lose sleep. So what should you do? I think a lot of it depends on how much time you have until you actually need the cash. How's that for a cop-out answer, Pete? Yeah, you really, really bailed. You sold me out. Uh, I, I had this conversation with a friend who was in their 60s this past week. And you know, I, I feel like it's gotten to the point where the person's losing sleep. I'm not telling the person to sell or do anything, but I, I'm clearly trying to help the person think through the situation. If it's starting to agitate you, you know, just, and by the way, all it doesn't have to be on all or nothing thing, right? That's why I said, move the 200 and not move the whole million. It's you, you can go in stages. Yeah. And if you wanted to even just take part of the 200 to lock in some of those gains and still participate in the movement of the stock up or down, you certainly could do that. Uh, but like I said, I, I think a lot of it has to do with your overall goals and plan going forward, because it, what may be appropriate for a 30-year-old who just bought a ton of Apple two years ago might look entirely different for a 62-year-old who sees retirement over two hills. Hi, Peter. We live in a small town 20 minutes south of Madison, Wisconsin, and the property taxes here are ridiculous with a capital R. I'm trying to determine if it's a sound financial strategy to pay off our mortgage early while our property taxes are a hefty portion of our mortgage payment. The value of our house is only $275,000 American dollars, but we're paying $7,000 a year in property taxes. Yikes. Ooh. I got to pause to react to that. Ugh. Our interest rate is 3% and our remaining balance is around 165000 We currently pay $1,500 a month. If we pay the mortgage off early, we still have to pay $583 a month in property taxes. In other words, we are only saving $800 to $850 from the mortgage itself. We still have to pay for insurance and taxes. $850 is not something to sneeze at, but it's really worth to pay off early. I know that other people say do not pay off early. 
Yeah. Wow. This is fascinating because this is um, a problem that gets solved one of few ways, right? You could let the property appreciate and sell the property and make this someone else's problem, which isn't a terrible idea if you have no reason to think property taxes aren't going to get cut. Option two is the town people, (laughs) the government, the the local municipality, that's where I was going with this, decides that the rates are too high and they lower them, which is unlikely in this environment. You're not going to see any property taxes go down. Or number three, you solve a future problem by making it a priority to pay off the mortgage over time prior to retirement. That way, it doesn't become a burden to your retirement income. Dane, what do you think is the most likely solution here? All I know is you said town people, and I pictured people in Wisconsin with pitchforks and wheels of cheese standing outside City Hall just just being angry. Uh, What do I think the the action here is? Paying off the mortgage, I think, shouldn't necessarily be considered in light of property taxes because you're going to have those taxes one way or the other. And frankly, once the mortgage is gone, it's possible that your property taxes might go up a little bit because you might lose an exemption. I don't know if Wisconsin has one or not for a a mortgage. So if you want to pay off your mortgage, go for it. I, I think you would appreciate the extra cash flow in your month to month financial life. And if you don't like the property taxes, well, make it somebody else's problem and, and sell the house and, and move to someplace a, a little less expensive or just a, a cheaper house in the same town. Anytime someone brings up paying off the mortgage, I'd, li- I'd like to make a clarifying point here. If you and I say, yeah, that makes sense or potentially for me, and I'll let you speak for yourself, I'm always thinking with your income on an increased pace over time, never, if maybe once, Never do I ever mean take a lump sum of money from savings, from retirement, from anywhere else, and use that giant chunk of money to pay down debt. Yeah. Chances are your money that you got elsewhere has uh, purposes elsewhere. Your your savings is an emergency fund. Don't use it to pay off the mortgage. If you got money in retirement, certainly don't use that to pay off the mortgage. If you've got extra cash flow, consider using that to pay off the mortgage because the last thing you want to do is uh, harm your future by uh, taking a re- reallocating money that was intended for some other purpose to paying down your house. All right. A couple minutes left in this segment. This made me think of just housing. Uh, oh, I just saw a chipmunk run across the street. Dame, I have caught 26 chipmunks this summer, not one in a couple months. I even have a chipmunk of the year uh, award on my desk. Because when I catch the next one, it's going to win the chipmunk of the year award. I just got distracted while we we're doing a radio show that's going all over the place. And, and now I'm regretful. Dame, property values could see some movement if we don't get uh, an eviction moratorium, if we don't get a foreclosure moratorium as this recession uh, goes on, uh, do you buy the, frankly, the Susie Orman argument that uh, homeownership is bad right now because property values are going to fall across the board when people get kicked out of their houses? Do you buy that? Not really. Uh, If you were buying your house for an investment, that probably wasn't the first the the right reason to buy it in the first place. However, I just don't think it necessarily works that way. Just because uh, a, a few houses might get foreclosed upon isn't going to have a 
huge effect that I think Susie is trying to um, portray here. Could it affect your property value? Yeah, potentially. Um, we're not talking about a Detroit situation, though, where, where city blocks are just left vacant in this case either. So um, I wouldn't freak out about it. I'd, I'd just kind of write it out. Yeah, I think it's overblown. I mean, th- there's going to see in some neighborhoods and in, in some, you know, cities, you're, you're going to see some issues in terms of the number of evictions. I am anxious to see what the government chooses to do with the number of evictions coming in the next six months or so. But coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week, and Damon's a good one, right here on the Pete the Planner Show, I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is the Buam, Dame. We call it the Buam, the biggest waste of money of the week. And this week, the Buam is, well, it's an ice maker, but a special ice maker. It's an aerospace aluminum ice ball maker. There's no shame and add an ice to your spirit of choice. And for most cocktails, it's essential. However, Regular cubes melt quickly, turning that special drink into a watered-down mess. Ice balls provide a happy medium, and this handsome machine happily churns them out. It's made from black, anodized, aerospace-grade aluminum, which transfers the heat from the surrounding air to the ice. Combined with gravity, that means it goes from rough chunk to sleek 2.75-inch sphere quickly, a size well-suited to most common glasses. Dame, what's your take? Oh, it's $300. This is $300, y'all. Shocking, no? I don't even know where to start. So you must have to... Okay, put the top on, and then there must be like a little fill spout at the top, I'm guessing, and... uh... Yeah, but here's the thing. I love ice. And I love, I mean, I like a good cold beverage. I like to drink my bourbon or rye slightly cooled, which which makes me an amateur. But I don't know where I line up on balls. There's just one of them, too. It's a it's a it just one makes ball. it's it's one ball. So if you're drinking with friends, you can't share a ball with them. For 300 bucks, you've got one ball. Man, that seems a little stiff. If you wanted to have a drink with a friend, you'd have to spend $600 so you can each have balls. Ice balls, $300. We have a giant uh, cube maker. It's a silicone (laughs) tray, and it's like the oversized cubes. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. And there's six in there, and I I can have six squares with people. But and it was probably like ten bucks for this but, thing. But no balls. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. Prov- it doesn't make balls, and that's the difference primarily. All right, Dame. This week's uh, current events here. Uh, did you notice that there is a an article recently that a tax hike on California millionaires would create a fifty four percent tax rate? That seems no bueno. Can't imagine the people who would be subject to this tax uh, rate are going to want to stick around in California to turn money over for it. Uh, 54% obviously is a 
marginal rate. It's not an effective rate. So that means the last dollar they make uh, would be taxed at the 54% or the, the last chunk of dollars they make at the 54%, not that all of their income is 54%. Uh, but man, that seems prohibitive to, to wanting to live in a place that, that just shakes randomly in the middle of the night. Democrats in California state legislature this week proposed that tax hike, and the plan follows proposals in New York state to raise taxes on the wealthy to pay for a widening budget deficit. Now, look, I realize there's not violins going off all over the country where people are playing sad songs for billionaires, but 54% of your earnings going to the government kind of stinks, if I'm if I'm being fair and honest here. I mean, they've... Uh, Another um, another uh, podcaster, uh, quasi-famous, Joe Rogan, uh, was located in, in California. He's already announced that he's moving to Texas for a number of reasons, but you can't tell me a huge deal with Spotify coming down the pipe, uh, moving to a, a state that is much friendlier in taxes. Doesn't make all the sense in the world for somebody like that. So the people who are going to be footing this bill are able to pick up stakes and leave whenever they want to. So I'm, I'm not sure it's going to have the effect that they're hoping. Sadly, it's time for the part of the show where we have our weekly discussion about what's going to be in the next stimulus bill. Um, The Congress packed it up on Thursday night to take a long weekend after weeks of recess. So now tens of millions of Americans who were getting enhanced unemployment assistance, well, it's run out. So they're going to go at least a week uh, without that additional money. For some, they'll be okay because they set money aside. Others, their lifestyle before this all happened was significantly higher than what unemployment uh, provides. And so they won't be able to pay their mortgage. They won't be able to make their car payments. Uh, They won't be able to put food on the table. But Dame, when Congress does get back to work, whenever those 72 hours of leisure is up, do you think they're going to end up with what the latest proposal I've seen from Republicans is a thousand dollars a person of direct stimulus payment, which of course is different than the unemployment uh, aspect of this $1,000 per person, which would mean a family of four gets 4,000 bucks. Or do you think it'll go back to the $1,200 per adult and $500 per dependent? I think for efficiency, I hope it's the thousand dollars per uh, family member up to four family members because there's no qualifications on that. They just uh, take a look at the tax returns, see how many people are covered under that, send it out. It's quick. There's no qualifications. No, nobody gets um, left off. I think the one I, there are qualifications. The one I think was to have a valid uh, U.S. Social Security number to get that next stimulus check. So um, I think it'll be way more efficient to make it happen, especially since we've already got the uh, the mechanism instituted with the IRS. So it should be pretty straightforward. And man, I hope there's just not very much debate on it. I hope it just comes back, gets stamped, and gets pushed out. Did you teach me something else or did you misspeak? Did you say up to four family members? So it caps at four people? If I read the article correctly, I think it caps at four people per family. Oh, man, that, that stinks. Again, if you've got, I know none of this can be perfect. I just, I'm getting, I get so frustrated at this, not because they're getting it wrong, because they're, they're trying to 
they're trying to tape together a, a massive problem. And, and I get that. So I try to extend grace here, but a family of six or seven, which is not that uncommon, right? Um, they've got a massive problem and the, that extra 500 or a thousand dollars for those additional dependents really matters, especially if the, they're teenagers or young adults that eat up all the food and they need food. If, uh, if, Congress called Pete on Sunday because they've got time on their hands. And that's, that's when people like to call you Sunday. <laughs> um, what would Pete do in this situation? Oh, man. And see, what an unfair question. What an unfair, awful person you are. Okay. Here's what I would do. Oh, you jerk. I would do. $1,200 per person, 500 per dependent, and I would change the income level significantly. So they, they look like they're going to be last, the, the last time around, this last stipulations where a single person, it's if you make $75,000 or below, you get the full 1200. If you make up the $99,000, then it gets depleted a little bit, but you still get a payment. And for married people, you just double that. I would move it from 75 and 150 respectively to 200 and 400. Oh, that's not going to make a lot of friends. I, I, but the thing is, I know so many people who had six figure jobs that are not working right now and their concerns, their needs are no less than someone who made half or a quarter of what they made. I, I know love people love to get upset about people who make a lot of money and say, well, you should have saved it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but it, it seems punitive to ignore people in that situation. I, I may have misread the article. I'm skimming through it as you're talking, so I'm partially ignoring you. Uh, but it does give an example that it says a family of four could potentially receive $4,000, but it doesn't say that it's capped at four. So I, I may have misspoken. Oh, fact checking myself. You know what? I'm into the show because that's an inexcusable. We're into the show. Okay. Gail, everybody, you'll, you'll have Gail or Kristen next week. Uh, treat them well. Sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. Thanks for listening to our little show here. We have fun. We hope you do too. Bye.